0: Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations all based on a biblical worldview. We are in Daniel chapter 7, and we are going to make one specific point in Daniel chapter 7, perhaps two. But we've been looking at the book of Daniel in a different way from different angles and we want to continue that today. But before we dive into the message, I want to thank the leaders of both the Pathfinders and the Adventurers because unknown to me, I've only been pastored here for a year. This is the first time we've ever had a club. And so that's a good thing. You know, sometimes clubs start and die. But to know that this is the first time the Woodlands Church has had a club, I want to thank them for their leadership, their vision, and may this club grow for the glory and honor of God. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 7. I want to look at Daniel from a different perspective. We looked at Daniel chapter 5 and Daniel chapter 6. Deborah and Ted did a wonderful job. But I want to show you, before we dive into Daniel chapter 7, I want to show you a list of Bible stories And some of you know what this is, but for those of you who are not familiar with this, I want you to look at this list of Bible stories and begin to percolate in your mind what they may have in common. Take a few seconds. Okay, so let's look at these stories. These are stories random throughout the Bible and look at what they have in common from God's perspective. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, they sin against God. And what does God do in each of these stories? In Genesis chapter 3, God looks for Adam and Eve. He asks the question, Adam, Eve, where are you? God takes the initiative. He goes after them. He investigates what happens. And let me ask you a question. Did he not know they sinned? Yes or no? Of course he knew. But he still asks questions. He still investigates because that is our God's character. The same in Daniel chapter, I mean Genesis chapter 4. He asked Cain, Where is your brother? Did he not know where his brother was? Did he not know Cain killed his brother? Mm -hmm. And Cain has the audacity to ask the question, Am I my brother's keeper? God, before pronouncing punishment in Genesis 3, or judgment, because it's not always punishment, judgment in Genesis 3 and 4, he investigated before he pronounced his judgment. The same in the Tower of Babel. He looks down. He sees that everything is evil. Then he confuses the mind and scatters the people. The same in God, Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus himself comes down with two angels and they actually go sends the two angels into the city to see if what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah was true. Did he not know from heaven what was happening there? But nevertheless, his character is to investigate before he pronounces judgment. Joseph and his brothers. Joseph investigates to see if his brother's characters have changed. And when he sees that their character has changed, he reveals himself and pronounces a judgment of blessing upon his brothers and saves their lives after investigating their character. The same with the writing of the wall that Daniel De- Deborah, excuse me, preach about Daniel chapter 5. There was an investigation of the kingdom of Babylon, and then he pronounced judgment. The wedding feast, right? There's a person in the wedding feast who doesn't have the right garment, and the host of the wedding goes around and sees that one person doesn't have the right garment and dismisses them. The woman of well. he didn't pronounce judgment on her. He asked her, he had a conversation with her you've had five husbands and the one you're with is not your husband and then after he got her to reveal her situation then he put a blessing upon her she was converted and then helped convert the rest of the village then you have the woman caught in adultery did he not know she was caught in adultery of course But then he sits down, investigates the sins of everybody around her. They leave and she is redeemed, not by the fact that he wrote the sins on the ground, but by the character, his own blood that will soon be shed for this adulterous woman. Ananias and Sapphira, did you sell the house for that much? Yes, we did. No, you didn't. And judgment is pronounced upon her. And finally, in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself In chapters 2 and 3, what does he do? He walks among his churches. He assesses their character. Two of them were flawless, didn't have anything they needed to improve on because they were trusting in Jesus Christ himself. The others, he addressed, he investigated, he pronounced the judgment, what they needed to correct. And as we see throughout all scripture, this is God's character. He has every right to judge us without having to investigate or without having to share that findings with anybody else. Because our God is a God who's an open character, who is love, who has nothing to hide. You see throughout scripture that this is who he is. That's why now that we get to Daniel chapter seven, the investigative judgment, do you not think that before the greatest event in human history, which the words are said, Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his works. Do you not think in the greatest event, if his reward is with him, that means he had to investigate prior who got heaven and who will be lost. But sometimes we look at the judgment as something negative, And today I want to show you That it is something actually to look forward to. It is something positive. But in the prophetic notion of this book, now that we have entered the prophecies, the prophecies from 7 to the end of the chapter are where Daniel sees in vision. Everything else happened historically and Daniel chapter 7 corresponds with Daniel chapter 2. And what I want to emphasize in Daniel chapter 2 is that there is no gap in the legs. So in other words, there is no future prophecy outside of this because we know what destroys the statue is the second coming of Jesus Christ. But Daniel chapter two was purely political. The passage of Babylon to the Beans and the Persian, to Greece, to Rome, and then the coming of God's kingdom. In Daniel chapter seven, what well, we will see the beasts change, but the kingdoms do not. The lion represents Babylon, the bear, the Medes and the Persians. We'll see this from scripture. Greece is the leopard and Rome is this horrible beast. But what changes, and I ask you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter seven. What changes is that the Bible itself and Daniel tell us that this beast is different from the rest. Daniel chapter 7, look at verse 4, verse 7, after this, after describing the first three beasts and we're skipping them over, not because they're not important, but because Daniel knows exactly what they are. Daniel knows who they are. He is not worried about these first three beasts because he knows they represent Babylon, the Medes and Greece. But look at what he says about the fourth beast. After this, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainders with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had 10 horns. While I was contemplating the horns, verse eight, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, the horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth uttering great boasts. This fourth beast is different than the other ones. And what makes it different is that uh, in Daniel chapter 2, it's purely political. In Daniel chapter 7, this beast begins to persecute God's people and begins to talk blasphemy against the God of heaven. And so Daniel sees his vision, and as we will continue in Daniel chapter 7, he's only worried about the fourth beast, not because the three other beasts are not important, but because he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt who they are and what role they will play. Look at verse 10, verse 9 and 10. I kept looking until thrones were set up, And the ancient of days took his seat. His vestiture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and what? A book's world. Now you know here it's a courtroom scene. And when you are in a courtroom scene, if you've seen Judge Judy or any other courtroom drama, there are different people in the courtroom scene. But these books, the Bible talks about them. And look what it says in Malachi 316. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord gave attention and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him. And for who is this book of remembrance? for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. So this book is not against you, it's not a book of judgment against you, but it's to protect you because these are for people who fear the Lord and what? Esteem his name. So the books were open, the Bible tells us. The Bible speaks of other books in the Bible. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. This is the beast. Speaking of the beast, everyone whose name has not been written, written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. So in other words, everybody who worships the beast are not going to be written in the book of life. Right? Those who worship the beast are not going to be written in the book of life. You and I want our names written in the book of life. In Revelation 20:12, it says, And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne. And the books, plural, were open, And another book was opened. So there's at least three books. Books, plural, minimum two. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead would judge from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. So there is books that talk about the deeds of the enemy, of the sinners who will be lost, because our God is transparent. But in the investigative judgment, God is not fighting for those who have chosen Satan. God is not a liar, so he's not going to say those who have chosen Satan are on team Jesus. Those are already clearly stated in the book. But the enemy is a liar from the beginning. And he's going to be disputing those names who are in the book of life. He's going to say, no, they're mine. And Jesus is going to say, no, they've been covered by the blood of the lamb. They've been covered by my blood. And what's interesting about these books is that this is not just theological in the sense of something us Adventists have made up. Moses himself knew about these books when he himself said this but now if you will forgive their sin when he was pleading for god's people and if not please blot me out of your book which you have written the lord said to moses whoever has sinned against me i will blot, blot him out of my book this is not theology moses it is theology but it's not just head theology Moses knew the reality of these books not because God needs to know but because our God is transparent and our God will let everybody audit the books for his glory and honor. so Moses is saying please Lord save my people save those who I minister to please Lord let my name be blotted out if in any way possible I can save these people. But Moses is a type of Christ. And sometimes we don't think about this. But in him dying for our sins, he blotted his own name out so that you and I may live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that you and I can live. In essence, he blotted his own name out so that you can take his place. In a courtroom, There's usually five people, more sometimes, but in this courtroom drama found in Daniel chapter 7, there are five key components. There's the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and Judge. But he's not the executing judge. He's not the executive judge. He is what we call in modern courtrooms, the presiding judge. He is the one that makes sure that the courtroom is in order. He makes sure that everybody stays in order, that Satan doesn't go out of order, that Jesus doesn't go out of order. If there is an objection by the two lawyers, Jesus and the enemy, they come to the Father and He makes sure that everything is going according to the celestial court. There's a celestial observers, the jury, the angels. Right, 10,000 times, 10,000 ministered to him. The court was sacked and the books were open. Then there's the protagonist, the Son of Man, Jesus, who we'll read about here. But Jesus kept silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself, nevertheless I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. And if you read Daniels 13 and 14, it says, I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory and kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and every man and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is of everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So think about it, in this courtroom, Jesus is also our lawyer, but he's also the executive judge. For the Father judges who? No one, but has committed all judgment to the son. God, the father is the presiding judge. Jesus is a ruling judge. Now think about it. He stands in my place. He is my lawyer. He is my judge. I cannot lose this case. Praise God. Amen. Right? I cannot lose. He stands in my place. He is my lawyer and he is the judge. The fix is in and we win. The antagonist is here, right? The accuser, Daniel chapter seven twenty five <coughs> alludes to it, but Revelation tells us who he is. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, as we read in Daniel, his feet were like the feet of a bear, like we read in Daniel, his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast. The devil is following you everywhere you go. Every move you make, and like the song says, and every breath you take, he's watching. He is after you to try to trip you up every step of the way but God and his angels are with you as well, keeping them away. But he is always going to accuse you before the father and the son of your shortcomings and Lord knows we have our shortcomings. But I also thank God that it's not about my shortcomings, but it's about who and whom I have placed my trust. And when he reminds me of my shortcomings, I remind him of his future. Because he will pay for his sins and for my sins. He will die for the sins he has helped me commit. But those sins are forgiven by one person and one person only. By the blood of Jesus Christ. He is my lawyer. He is my judge. And he stands in my place. This is him being the accuser. Then he showed me Joshua. My insight into his accusations. The high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with white, rich robes. This is what Jesus has done for you and for me. He has taken out our filth, those who have accepted him, and we are now covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us insights into this, and we see it here in the story of Joshua. Andrew, next slide. The defendants, you and I, are in this courtroom. There is not mentioned of the wicked, the unrighteous in the divine courtroom because no one disputes their choice of Satan as Lord. There's nothing to fight over. Why? Because they have chosen. God is not a liar. He says, "Okay, these are yours. I've looked. They haven't accepted my son. They're yours. So they are not mentioned in Daniel chapter seven. The heavenly judgment focuses instead on all throughout history who have declared their loyalty to God. The Lord knows those who are his, 2 Timothy tells us. The trial before he comes again isn't about God trying to make up his mind in court, but about God seeking to defend his children. The accusations are coming relentlessly. And so it's not like an earthly judge where you are fearful of the judge and the Hebrew thought the judge is your lawyer and he's deciding the case Jesus is the judge he is your lawyer and he stands in your place there is nothing to fear for the judgment for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God and it begins with us first what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord will judge. But when he judges me, when he judges you, when he judges those who have accepted Jesus Christ, all he sees is the sinless, spotless perfection of his own son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing to fear for the judgment. Why? Because Daniel chapter 7, let's go here to verse 23. The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the previous one and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one and he will intend to make alterations in the times and in the law, and they will be given into his hands for times, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all his kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions will serve and obey Him. See traditionally we know who this power is and we're not going to get into that today. We know who the power is. What I want to focus on today is that we have nothing to fear for this judgment. We have nothing to fear because our God tells us that until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed what? In favor of the saints. It is for us. It is to not condemn us. For now Romans 8 tells us, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The investigative judgment is nothing to fear for it is in favor of the saints of the highest ones. And the time will soon arrive when we will take possession of the kingdom. Many people are afraid of the judgment. And understandably so, sometimes we have preached it in a way that makes us fear the judgment. Typically, this is the video we see in evangelistic series. You stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and you're going to be condemned by the law. Yes, we're judged by the law. But when we've accepted Christ, we never stand alone. We stand with Jesus as our advocate. The enemy make his accusations. He might recite perfectly all your indiscretions. But Jesus says, wait a minute here. In the books of heaven, his name is blotted out by the blood of the Lamb. He's been forgiven by my blood. He's been brought into a faith-saving relationship by my blood. So you can make all the accusations you want. You can recite all his sins or her sins you want. But every day they have accepted me for their forgiveness. And they are welcomed into my kingdom. Not because of their own merits. But because of the merits of my own blood. Shed for that. We never stand in the judgment alone. We stand with him. Christ in us. The hope of glory. For it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And so when I stand before the judgment, I stand with Christ holding me every step of the way. Many of you may know what this is, right? It's football season. I enjoy football. My New York Giants are horrible. We've lost to Dallas way too many times in a row. But when a play goes wrong in football, the coach has the ability, when the referees get it wrong, to throw a red flag. And that red flag, as we know in football, orders there to be an investigation of the previous play to see if the refs, a.k.a. the devil, got it right. And I love it when my coaches throw red flags and it turns out that they were right. Because, Andrew, go to the next slide, the ultimate red flag was thrown by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's reviewed our life. He has seen the errors and the mistakes. But when we have accepted him, this becomes a reality. The Lord did not check who inside the house was worthy. He checked for the blood on the doorpost. None of us is worthy. Only the blood of Jesus can cover us. You want the ultimate red flag to be thrown in your favor. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There will be a review. There will be an investigation. But when they look back at your life, all they will see is that you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 7 has been taught in many ways... A focus on the fourth beast. And Daniel was interested in the fourth beast and he wanted more detail about the fourth beast. But the reality is this the court was sat, the books were open, and the judgment came out in favor of you and me. So I don't care what the fourth beast does. He can rant. He can rave. He can try to change God's law. He can try to persecute God's people. In the end, nothing is settled until my God speaks. And he has spoken in Daniel chapter 7 that the judgment is in favor of God's people. But there's only one way you're not covered by the red flag or the red blood of Jesus Christ. The same way in Exodus. If you haven't accepted the blood of Jesus Christ, then the angel of death came and you died. So today, the thought is this. Only you know if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I can't make that choice for you. The elders can't make that choice for you. Your parents cannot make that choice for you. Your kids cannot make that choice for you. The adventurer leaders and the pathfinder leaders cannot make that choice for you. Only you can make that choice. And so my question to you is, are you covered by the blood of the Lamb? Because when the judgment takes place, when the Ancient of Days sits, the one in whose time is in his hand, who holds your eternity, when those books are open, all I want to see is one thing. Forgiven, written in red, by the blood of Jesus Christ. May that be your desire as well. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org, and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you, and have a great day.